And welcome to this hour of Flames Talk, which just happens to be the sports drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a keyed alike system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. It's Steinberg along with you from a very smoky downtown, but we're in the uh, confined spaces of the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Would love you go hit subscribe on Flames Talk. Okay, lots to get to this hour, and let's kick it off on a Tuesday by saying hello to our NHL insider Frank Saravalli. Brought to you by our friends at South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. And Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Hello, sir. How are you today? Pat, I'm good. How are you? Isn't it a little early for for fire season? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, there's the we've got some crazy and uh, pretty serious wildfires going up in the northern part of the province, and so uh, the uh, wind shifted and overnight blew a ton of smoke. This is probably the worst I've seen smoke come through our city in uh, the last I don't know five six years somewhere in that range. It, uh, Wow. It is. It is I, I think our air quality, the danger levels at eleven, which doesn't seem good. So yeah, I uh, I busted out the old uh, pandemic mask for my walk in today. Even. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that tells you something. I wanted to never see those things again. Yeah, exactly. But it sounds like uh, sounds like things are starting to uh, starting to get a little bit more under control uh, to the north of us. So that's good news and uh, good to have you on board with us on this Tuesday, my friend. Um, you know, it's it's funny because we've been talking about the Flames and what they might do and where they are in different processes pretty much since the season came to an end. And now it feels like maybe we're starting to be in that pocket where a general manager announcement or a general manager decision is somewhat imminent. But I'm curious as to your understanding as to how far along this process is or how close you believe the Flames might be to hiring a new GM. Yeah, I think they're getting closer. I don't have a real firm sense on timeline or day or anything like that. Uh, obviously they've spoken to a number of different candidates, uh, some internal, some external, uh, a lot of the conversations to my knowledge with the external candidates have been, uh, via zoom. Uh, and so they've been sort of done, uh, teleconference wise. Right. I don't know what to read into that. Um, and I, I, you know, I think it's probably too premature to declare anyone a front runner. However, um, I would say that, you know, if you're someone like Craig Conroy, uh, you know, you'd have to be feeling pretty confident with, you know, the, the uh, conversations you've had and the presentation you've made. It just seems to me like he's just from talking to different people around the organization that uh, his resume, his experience, his knowledge of the market 
you know, to me is what stands out. And, and the Flames yeah. can kind of do this process and search that I'm not unconvinced that at the end of it that they don't already have the best guy right there to hire. Well, and, and I mean, on this program, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, first of all, uh, in in a very biased way, uh, Flames talk big big proponents of Craig Conroy and and him being a friend of the program. But I'm with you, like and 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 even on Monday's program, Frank, I was kind of going down the road because you know I've I've heard anywhere between like depending on who I've spoken to, the number of different people the Flames have spoken to in this process, and and to your point, and kind of the teleconferencing mode is ranged like from like 25 to 45 are the different numbers I've heard in terms of how many people they spoken to so suffice to say it's been a pretty wide net but nothing against any of the external hires or external candidates rather I just feel like for so many reasons continuity wise and the fact that you know they didn't want to necessarily move away from Brad Tree Living and we'll get to BT in just a, in just a little bit but yeah, you know, it, it feels like for so many reasons, an internal hire and the the quality that you have in the two internal candidates in Conroy and and Brad Pascal, it just it's not always set up to be the best thing to just hire internally. But at least in my opinion, it feels like this this is a time to go internal. I'm curious your perspective on that. I think it all depends on the quality of the candidate. Yeah. Like I would say more often than not the improper call is to like to not cast a wide net and to essentially just hone in on someone that you already know because of the familiarity and the the comfortability that comes with that it's like a it's a security blanket the devil you know is is better than the devil you don't and um you know that would normally be the case however um the quality of in and not no disrespect to Brad Pascal, um, none whatsoever. Cause I, I believe he's also been part of the process as well. Um, you know, Craig Conroy has touched every part of this organization. He's also, um, you know, to my knowledge done just about everything you can as a player uh, from being a captain to uh, playing in the Stanley cup final to, uh, you know, being in the twilight of his career and, and uh, you know, going through that different role to then, you know, the scouting portion and all the other things that come with it. Um, he's done it all. And, and more than that, um, is highly respected and well-respected as well. And so, you know, I think that's one really important continuity part of what the Flames have had going on from Brad Tree Living is, they a lot of people really liked playing there and playing for him. Um, that he fostered relationships, uh, treated everyone like family, treated everyone well. I think you'd get a lot. Of, not to say like you can't get that same sort of culture from um, an external candidate or hire. You can, but then to learn all the people that are in place already. Yep. Um, it just it would take time, and I don't think the Flames are in any sort of mode that they want to leave stuff up to chance in the sense that, you know, there might be change or there might be, um, you know, a, a hiccup here or there. They already had that last year with the roster turnover. Yep. You don't, I don't think you want to do that again. If you want to, if your goal is to remain competitive and to have a chance to get back in the playoffs and make noise. And that I believe is, is the edict from Mary Edwards on down is to be back in the playoffs next season. 
feels like I'm talking to myself from yesterday when it comes to just that point about you want to you want to do everything in your power, Frank, to like avoid that feeling out process or learning curve or whatever term you want to use. You you want you want to be in a spot where you hit the ground running and that stuff doesn't exist this year. So I I think that uh, you're 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 preaching to the choir again when it comes to that. That's that's kind of the main reason why I think an internal hire with the candidates they have. You talk because I, I think you're right. I mean. If it's for whatever reason, if you have somebody like me as your AGM, well, no, no, don't don't promote that guy. But when you've got quality candidates like the two they've got right now in the organization, um, and you talk about Conroy and all the different things that he's touched, I mean, he literally has done everything that that you can ask for in an organization. And and uh, Brad Pascal has run a, a an AHL franchise for the last nine years. I mean, yeah, and I, I think that Conroy being the front runner with all that he's touched i i really feel like it it would be or it would have the chance anyway of being a pretty seamless transition it it feels obvious uh and maybe that's when they hit us with a two by four in the face and go in an entirely different direction i my jaw is still kind of on the floor with what you just said about 25 to 40 people that they've spoken to like i I get that Don Maloney has been burning up the phone lines and, and trying to, you know, really dig up some new ground and talk to people. I, I don't think I really had any concept that there was that many people. And when you talk, if that is accurate, when you talk to that many people, like the first thing I kind of get to is like, well, what are you doing? And and I get that there's an information gathering process and there is a, um, you know, more information is, is good. And there's always, um, there's always that favor granting too, right? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. We'll talk to you. Yeah. yeah okay. We'll, 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 we'll take your phone call type of thing. Yeah. And I, I get, yeah. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is like how many pat on the back yeah. conversations and interviews were there and how many of them were actually like really authentic. And so that's why I've sort of refrained from really putting out people that, you know, connecting the flames to names that I don't, I don't, like, I'm not going to say it just to say it. And yeah. I, I hate part of this thing that goes on with the interview process and the news gathering part of it, which is there's so many people just trying to, to um, really, you know, present themselves in a good light to get their name thrown into the mix that all of a sudden, if you were a finalist for two or three jobs that at, at some point it's an eventuality that you get one, the self-promotion aspect of it is yep. like a little bit nauseating from yep. a reporter's perspective. And so um, I've, you know, I've sort of been pretty cautious about, you know, putting out who is authentically in the mix and who isn't. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very fair. Now um, there, there's definitely been names that have been connected. You're right. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the, the name that, you put out there on Monday, and that is Maple Leafs AGM Brandon Pridham. What what makes him? Because it's not. I, I've we've definitely heard his name around and in the mix is one of those next ones for the last little bit. What makes him such an intriguing candidate? Whether it's from a Calgary perspective or just overall. Well, he's like quite literally the person who wrote the salary cap and how it functions and, you know, worked in central registry to basically manage the cap on a daily basis for the entire league. Um, so he's a, a central figure in that regard. And, you know, I would argue like there's a, a very small handful of people 
on the planet that have a you know a, a, a an understanding of the salary cap and how it functions and the mechanics of it better than him. Uh, and you've seen it play out uh, at multiple turns, whether it was the Leafs navigating their flat cap environment, which I think they were the most damaged team from the pandemic in right. that sense, based on the way they had built their roster, saying, you know, here's what we're projecting the cap to be at when these contracts are in full effect. Um, you've seen it at the deadline, whether it was like adding someone like Riley Nash in a loophole where it was like you can put him on LTIR and then bring him back for the playoff. Like, there's just been little creative wrinkles here and there uh, that I think have provided the Leafs with an advantage. And before that, I think he was involved with the central scouting program and, and how that operated. So I would imagine there's like a fundamental understanding of evaluating players and things like that. Um, but he, he's an intriguing guy. I think the question is how involved in the process is he? And there's a reason why I worded my report saying that they plan to per- pursue permission for a reason, because I, I don't have a full sense of what that entails. Ha- like there, was, there were rumblings that they had actually spoken to him last week um, before the Leafs were even eliminated. And then I, you know, I had someone pour cold water on that. Okay. And then there was, there was some like, hey, will they take the next step this week? And now the, the Leafs are officially out. Uh, is the process still ongoing? Where, where does he fit? So all those questions were were out there. Um, and so I just figured, you know what? Let me just connect the dot of Brandon Pridham and the Flames uh, in the event that this ends up going further. But okay. the interest, I think, was certainly there. With Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, he joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. Any um anything changed since your Thursday report about Brad Treliving and and the Flames at at that stage not granting him permission to talk with or interview elsewhere? Has anything changed since that report from Thursday morning? Why do you ask? I ask only because I'm fascinated by the whole thing. I not to my knowledge. I was wondering if you knew. No, no. On that case, on that case, I do not. Possibility. No, this case is is Um, me asking the question because I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. Like, not to my knowledge, Um, the Flames uh, on a a real basic level and and way to explain it is, um, I think Mary Edwards and Flames ownership were disappointed with the tail end of Brad tree living's tenure in that they wanted him back and he ended up leaving for the reasons that we've been reporting that um, they needed to make a decision on Daryl Sutter. He had pushed for one, you know, point of view and that wasn't granted. And so he left and then now they ended up making the change. And to me, like the easiest thing would have just been to, you know, there's who's saying you can't get married again, like put away your stubbornness on both sides and just bring him back into the fold. Kind of like nothing ever happened. We've seen weirder things take place in sports. Uh, That isn't a direction that the flames wanted to go down. And more to the point, I think they were so, I don't want to say annoyed or bothered or frustrated or, um, there's probably even a little bit of like vindictiveness that comes with that, 
that no one really tells Mary Edwards no. And someone did. And now they're essentially saying, we paid you a lot of money and we're still paying you. So you are going to serve out the remainder of your contract. And when it expires, then you can become a free agent. We're not going to grant you permission to go work somewhere else. And especially before the draft right. and free agency to then take the knowledge that you've earned with the Calgary Flames and take that elsewhere. Well, and, and listening to you um, with the boys on Thursday morning, shortly after that report came out, um, it was just the way you phrased it, I thought was really important in that this is, this is when teams hire general managers. This is when the hiring process happens. We're kind of in that, that limbo area between the end of seasons and the NHL draft and prepping your list for free agency and all that type of stuff. Could, is, is there a chance that Brad could be in the mix if, if he wanted to be a GM again elsewhere? Like if the Flames don't grant him permission to interview until after June 30th, could he still be a guy who ends up elsewhere for next season in your mind? I just from a pure timeline perspective, I don't see anyone waiting that long. Right. I, I think it's, you know, essentially corporate malfeasance to do that with all due respect to Brad tree living. Like uh, there's so many critical decisions that need to be made from the draft on down to reshaping your roster the bulk of all that work is is really done by you know the first or second week of June. By the time the Stanley Cup Finals ending, you you have a real good idea of what your draft list looks like. You know who you want to target in free agency. You're beginning to have not beginning. You're having full on conversations with teams about trades. To think that that would linger on until into July yeah. to make the hire, I just I don't see it. So essentially, the message is that you're going to have to wait. And my own personal opinion, not that you asked for it, is just, it's not, I don't think that's any way to run a business. Um, Especially for someone we talked about earlier in the, in the segment, Uh, treated everyone with respect. People really liked working for, you saw the emotion on uh, John Bean's face and Don Maloney's face when they had the press conference uh, announcing the changes. It just, it's petty. And, I understand the competitive nature of sport. I understand the vindictiveness. Um, I get it. You run a business and you have power and control. It just, it strikes me as, as wrong. And it's, you know, I'm not the Calgary flames. I'm not any, I'm not anyone. Uh, But that's, that's not how I would run my business. He's Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk, as he does on this Tuesday. Where, uh, where's Pittsburgh in their process? Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins are moving right along as well. Uh, they're well into the second round of their interviews. I think they have some more on tap this week. Um, I think it's a stretch. There was some initial consideration out there to say that they might be able to get it done by Friday. I think that's a reach, um, but, you know, the names that have been out there and connected to it, I saw another report today uh, in The Athletic. It's just uh, there's kind of new people popping up all the time. Again, I think sometimes you have to sift through, like, fact and fiction, not saying anyone's report is wrong or that right. mine's dead accurate. It's just 
there's so many moving parts to this. Like sometimes you end up hearing names that were in and are now out. And I don't know why that is. It you know, must be a pure um, you know, publication factor. But you have to weigh all that whenever you hear something. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of GMs, what what did you make of, of Kyle Dubas and his end-of-season media availability on Monday? It was really interesting. Like, I, 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 I didn't know quite what to expect but that certainly wasn't it. So like to recap for you, like we learned two really important things. One, Kyle Dubas said publicly for the first time that if he's not managing the Toronto Maple Leafs, he won't be working anywhere else and he'll recalibrate. And two, as I reported after the fact, when he sat down at that podium, he knew then that the Leafs wanted to, they had made overtures and wanted to bring him back. So it wasn't like he was sitting there guessing and saying, well, I'm not sure what they're thinking or I'm sort of sitting here right. in limbo. That's not the case. And so what I didn't expect was for him to say that this has taken a real toll on his family and that he needs time to consider. So we know the Leafs want him back. We know that he doesn't plan to work anywhere else. So then the big question is, does he want to be back? And that part, I guess, kind of threw me through a loop because I don't think anyone was anticipating that just from the sheer perspective of this guy's been managing in the last year of his contract and knew he would basically since like last July. So to think that Kyle Dubas and his wife Shannon haven't talked about that at any point in the last year or really haven't nailed down or, or, you know, gone through the details and the nitty gritty of it, like, I don't, I don't want to say it's, like, disingenuous, but, like, I don't know what it's like in your house, but, like, in my house, like, that'd be something that we'd be talking about, you know, every week. So I was definitely a little bit surprised about that. And I don't know, like, I don't know where that leaves things. Obviously, I think this is something that's going to be taken care of in the next 48 to 72 hours. I can't see this lingering, but that's sort of the basis of where I'm at. Yeah, I'm really, I'm fascinated to see where this whole thing plays out with Dubas. Cause yeah, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't a necessarily expecting him to talk and B wasn't expecting him to give that answer. So that's uh that is super fascinating. Um, What are you, what are you hearing right now on the salary cap number? And as of right now, it's projected to go up 1 million. Commissioner Bettman hasn't said anything but that. Um, and, and has left the door open for something else. I know that you have, dating back months ago in season, talked about how you believe it will go up more than just the obligatory $1 million. But where are you on what things might look like in terms of the salary cap world for next year? So I believe Gary Bettman and new NHLPA executive director Marty Walsh are scheduled to convene this week. Um, I don't think we'll have any clarity. I think they're kind of just still in like a get to know you touch base kind of phase before they talk about anything substantive. But, you know, we're, we're reaching like time is of the essence. You know, you mentioned that Gary Bettman signaled months ago that he's open to negotiation. I've never been more convinced. I've, I, I remain steadfast and confident in, in my reporting and understanding that I think this, salary cap is going up somewhere around three to three and a half million bucks. Um, I, you know, 
part of that is it's not even in the best interest of, of NHL owners yep. to have a flat cap for a fourth consecutive year. We know the players would like more money in the system. I think there's a way to do that and not touch the escrow cap. We know that there's going to be an ask from the NHL to players. Ain't nothing for free in Gary Bettman's world. Um, that's, that's how it works. It's a fact of life. Uh, and I, I've reported to what I believe the ask to be. I believe um, Gary Bettman and the NHL's owners are looking for the players to walk away from some outstanding HRR claims that go back a few years, I think three seasons. I don't know what that totals. I believe it's somewhere in the, in the realm of $100 million that's sort of floating out there that they haven't been able to close their books yet. And I think they want the PA to just walk away from making claims against that money so that they can, you know, move forward. And in exchange for that, they'll increase the salary cap. Like that's my theory and speculation. Maybe they ask for something different, but the truth is they're going to ask for something. And I think there's just a way, like there's a way to do it. Cause I think at the end of the day, Gary Bettman knows that his own owners want to see this go up. Yep. And, and, you know, when that's the case, um, you know, I think he ends up making the deal that suits them. Tell us about the importance of this vote Tuesday in Tempe, Arizona. What what are we going to find out when Tuesday's over? We're going to find out whether or not the, the Coyotes still play in Arizona, essentially, and how long their stay is going to be like is this has been the most underreported, undercovered story in the NHL. Um, today's the day. It's election day in the U.S. Um, and the Tempe Entertainment District and the Coyotes' new arena is, is up for vote uh, with the citizens of Tempe. And we're going to hear some results, uh, I believe, by 8 or 8.30 Mountain Time tonight, which is... Uh, it's not at mountain time, excuse me, it's Arizona time. They're on their own world. I know, they, they have their own um, weird time. Yeah, so, I, I, um, so that's the case. Now, if we hear that it's a yes and it's been approved by citizens, well, the Coyotes have cleared a huge hurdle for building a palatial new 16,000-seat arena in Tempe. And it's still going to take some time. There's probably going to be some legal hurdles from the city of Phoenix that has filed a lawsuit, but at that rate though, the Tempe part of it will have been cleared. Now the flip side to that is if it's a no, which depending on who you talk to, there's been a lot of skepticism as to whether or not this vote will pass. There's been an anti sort of billionaire stance in Phoenix. There's been a a political action committee that's pumped $2 million into the no vote um, led by some high powered labor unions that wanted to work on the project and and, uh, haven't been given assurance that they will do so. Um, and if it's no, then I believe, and this is my opinion only, that the Arizona Coyotes will be pulling up stakes and finally, at long last, after tons of support by the NHL, have no choice but to move to another city. And when it's, it's, the question is when and where that relocation would take place, not yep. if. Yep. So, you know, whether it's Houston or Salt Lake City or Sacramento, whatever, pick the place, it doesn't matter. The question is when and where. Because it's already, even if all this passes, is going to take somewhere between three and four years to actually build the arena. And if it's a no, they need to start from scratch. 
And the NHL and its owners and frankly the players themselves don't they don't they don't have the stomach for five, six years yeah. in Mullet Arena at forty five hundred seats and being a suck on league revenue. Yeah. So that's that's the fact of, of where they're at and like get your popcorn ready. Like I know no one really cares about the coyotes, but um this this vote tonight is like super juicy. Where where and when, or, or I guess when's the correct question, when did Sacramento and Salt Lake City enter the conversation? Because you just mentioned him there, and I've heard him for the first time over the last like, 24, 48 hours. Like, Houston, yes. Kansas City, yes. I know that, uh, I, I know that the folks in Quebec are, are continuing to keep the hope alive for Quebec City. But when did Salt Lake and Sacramento enter the conversation? Well, to Quebec City, I would say bon chance. I know. Um, good luck, not happening. Market size, too small. Canadian dollar working against you. Like, yeah, there's a million things. But uh, Kansas City and Houston have NHL-ready arenas, like the Sprint Center and, if it's still called that, and the the Toyota Center where the Houston Rockets play. Like, those can fit NHL rinks, no problem. And they have interested ownership parties that would like to – get a team salt lake city popped up in recent weeks and months because their owner uh not their owner but a prominent uh billionaire in the salt lake city area was seen or reported having um a conversation with gary bettman and so bettman acknowledged the meeting and said essentially i take these all the time anytime someone you know phones me up and says i've you know i've got a billion dollars or multiple billion dollars and i want to be part of your club like of course you take the meeting. So Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City is not a viable NHL building right off the hop. Like you could do it if you needed, you know, temporarily, but they would need to build something new. And the thought process is with Salt Lake City being in the mix for another Winter Olympics, that you would then get a proper venue built then as part of that, that an NHL team could play in. So I think that's more of an expansion um, okay. ideology. And, and Sacramento pops up because, uh, the Sacramento Kings owner, Vivek Ranadive, he was recently in Ottawa and was a prospective bidder. I, I don't believe that he was part of the final bid, but did show up and was considering putting in a bid for the Sens. Um, he's got tons of money, and and obviously he's interested in, in joining the crew in some way. You know, Sacramento, not exactly a perfect fit for the Central Division, but... That's never stopped the NHL from uh, from making a, a relocation. If you recall, and people said I was crazy today, I think it's very far-fetched that if um, the vote is no tonight in Tempe, Arizona, that the Coyotes could move forward next season. But I'll remind you that it's not out of the realm of possibility in two weeks' time because – that's exactly the date, May 31st, 2011, Winnipeg. in which Gary Bettman yep, announced yep. the Atlanta Thrashers relocating to Winnipeg for the next season. And speaking of relocation, if you recall, the, the Winnipeg Jets played that season in the Southeast Division. They sure did. Because <laughs> you know what? The, those Winnipeg to Raleigh flights, uh, they're, they're super quick, and uh, it's basically like they're in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I was, that was. Well, uh, I'm getting excited for speaking of Raleigh, the a potential Cup final, like Raleigh to Vegas, Raleigh to Dallas, like that could be 
this could be some fun flights. Well, I was going to ask right as we wrap up, because um, we've like there's a ton of information in this hit with Frank today. Uh, give me your picks for the Stanley Cup final between Carolina, Florida in the east, and uh, now we know Dallas and Vegas in the west. Uh, I, I'm, I, I don't have as good of a feel because the second round didn't play out the way that I thought it would. I went one and three in the second round. I was five and three in the first round. So I've kind of come back to earth a little bit. Um, so don't go by me, but my picks I think would be Vegas and six. I think Vegas and their sort of even keel, even strength, disciplined, uh, play w- with the depth that they have is, is a handful. They've gotten the goaltending. Dallas has been a little bit more erratic at times, uh, but still built for playoff success. And I, I think as much as my gut says the Carolina Hurricanes, I think I'm going to go with the Florida Panthers. Okay. And I'm going to say Panthers in seven. There's just something about how ferocious their forecheck is. I know that they haven't met a decor as as good as Carolina. You know, maybe you could make the argument that they shredded Boston and their decor in the first round. That'd be a good argument. But Carolina survived on their defense, and Carolina's damn consistent. Though that's the thing. I just there's something about Florida and the the fire that they've caught that I just don't know if that's going away. I like it. It's uh, four teams that are uh, a little bit different than maybe where we thought this thing was going, but I like it. The the four teams in the two conference finals, which start Thursday uh, and then continue Friday in the Western Conference. Frank, uh, I kept you for way too long. Uh, appreciate it as always, man. We'll let you go. We'll talk to you next week. We'll hear you Thursday on the big show. Thanks as always, my man. My pleasure. Have a good one. You're the best. Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider, Daily Faceoff, dailyfaceoff.com. And he joins us each and every week, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it's time to go inside hockey on this Tuesday for Calgary Co-op with new product families, member rewards, and sale events. You'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op. It's Pat Steinberg along with you as this hour of Flames Talk continues. And now let's say hello to the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, Mitch Love, joins us for uh, our weekly chat with the head coach of the Wranglers, smack dab in the middle of a hard-fought playoff series and uh, right after a triple overtime game on Monday night where the Wranglers fall 3-2 to the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Uh, Mitch, really do appreciate the time on this Tuesday. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah, no problem, Pat. Yeah, it's good to come on and uh, chat a little hockey with you guys today. How um, just physically, exhaustion levels, all that type of stuff, how are you feeling after Monday night? Well, I'm fine. I mean, you might not ask the players how they feel uh, in terms of going through something like that. Um, 
you know, and, and talking to some of the guys today, uh, you know, uh, you know, outside of obviously the, the result last night are in pretty good spirits and felt like we, you know, played a pretty good hockey game through uh, almost six periods of hockey. And, you know, we just couldn't find the back of the net uh, when we needed to. Um, you know, even through regulation, we're up 2 nothing, even to try to get that game to 3 nothing, maybe it's a different story. Um, and then we had plenty of luck, especially in the first overtime to yeah. end the hockey game. But um, that's the beast of, of overtime hockey in the playoffs. And uh, it's kind of momentum swings back and forth. Um you know, but uh, we knew we had to come here and win two out of three games. So now we got to try to do that here on Wednesday and Friday. Well, and, and coach, you knew this was going to be a battle. And going into the series, you, you talked about how tight this series was going to be. I know that game one did not, you know, play out the way that you wanted to see from your team. But, you know, since that time, it has been extremely close. And, and you know, I've kind of seen the battle that it felt like you're expecting. I'm assuming the last two games, even though Monday night didn't go exactly the way that you wanted, I, I'm assuming that the, the closeness of this series is kind of exactly what you were expecting. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, you know, this time of year, whether it's a best of five, best of seven, there's no moral victories, and, and we've got to find ways to, you know, to dig a little bit deeper in some areas to, to you know, come up with a win um, tomorrow night. But it is tight. I mean, the, the season series is tight. It's, it's a fine line. Uh, we knew that coming into this series. Um, you know, we didn't put our best foot forward in game one. Uh, we, we were much better in game two. And then even last night, I thought our game was continued to build over the last couple nights. And, you know, we did get the result we wanted, of course. But, you know, we, we've got to just keep building in that and, and trying to find the positives and the, and the confidence in our group. Uh, and, and we've had a resilient group all year. And yeah. we're going to need that tomorrow night to, to, to find a road win. And then, you know, you force a game five if we're, if we're fortunate enough to get there. Uh, we all know in this sport, uh, you never know when it's a do or die situation. You know, and and talking to you after game one or talking to you throughout the season like we did, you talked about and even you even just mentioned it right there, how resilient the group has been. Um, and, and you bounce back with a really quick turnaround from game one to game two with a really solid outing on home ice. I guess what, what even allowed you to do that uh, in game two? And, and is there anything you can draw from there going into game four tomorrow night? Well, I thought, you know, the difference between game one and game two, uh, we were just more emotionally invested in what it takes to win in, in the playoffs uh, against a very good team. And I, we didn't provide enough of that in game one, obviously. Um, game two, we, we were, you know, a lot more dialed in that area. And then last night we were too. We just, you know, we, we couldn't score. We, the, the goalie played well. Um you know, we had a good start, a really good start on the road, uh, and, and, a, and a very tough building to play in. And you know, but tomorrow now we're there's no excuses at this point when we're in do or die here potentially. Uh, you know, with your season on the line, that you got to find another gear. It might be an extra block shot. It might be a puck that needs to get deep at the end of a shift. It it, it might be a loose puck around the net that needs to find its way across the the red line there against a hot goalie. That, we're going to have to do everything we can and, and, and not save it for anything in terms of uh, finding a win and, and extending our season, as cliche as it sounds. 
Mitch Love's with us, head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, joining us here on Flames Talk. And and you know, you talk about do or die, and and this is this is the time where you find out exactly what your group's made of, all those types of cliches. But you know, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Just how confident are you in the resolve of this group? How confident are you in this group's battle level? Like I I, I would imagine that the group that you've got and the leadership that you've got, like this is as, as confident as you can feel going into a, a game to save your season on Wednesday. Yeah, I'm confident. Um, I, I, I'm, I've got all the trust in the world of our, our team. And, um, you know, we, we've had even games in this playoffs where we looked to be out and we found ways in the third period to come back against Abbotsford twice and, and find wins. Um, we've got a confident group. Uh, they, they haven't lost that in this series at all, even though we're, you know, our backs are against the wall here. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to dig in. We're going to find a way to, to try to extend the series as best we can. And, uh, but we're going to need everybody to just, you gotta, you gotta elevate your game just a little bit more. And that's the time you are at. And, um, you know, we're, we're excited for the challenge here tomorrow night. Uh, you know, again, uh, it, it, it seems to be a cliche type interview, Pat. But you know the the the, the win to close out a series is the hardest one to get, and that pressure is on them. And we just got to go out and play our game, and and you know let the cards lie lie when we do at the end of the night. What uh, what are the challenges playing a couple of days after you went one eleven twenty two? So almost as you mentioned, six full periods of close, you know, kind of drag them out, slobber knocker hockey. Like it was physical. I, I, I watched it from start to finish. It was physical. It was tight. There's next to nothing um, separating these two teams. So what for, from your group, whether it be physically or mentally, what's the challenge playing less than 48 hours after a game that went over 111 minutes? Well, I think, you know, Thank God we're not probably playing today. I wouldn't be if I was a paid customer come to a hockey game. I don't know if that would be a very good one to watch tonight. But, uh, you know, I think both teams have that day to kind of reset. And, you know, from what I noticed, uh, both teams didn't skate today, obviously. Um, you know, they'll probably hit the ice uh, and do their morning skates and whatnot tomorrow and, and get things going again. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, this time of year, it, it's about the metal, uh, mental and physical component that, that makes you win. And, and, you know, again, we've got some veteran guys, some character guys that have been through this before. We've got some young players that this is just great for them and their development to see how hard it is to win this time of year and what it takes. Um, you know, again, it, it's going to come down to this series is so tight that it's going to come down to the you know the, the mental breakdowns that may come. You got to manage your shift length. You got to be smart, and you got to utilize your group. And, and that's for us where we need to have everybody involved, everybody contributing tomorrow night um, to allow us to kind of you know ride a full bench and 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 make sure that everybody's a part of it and, and helping us try to extend our season. A couple more with Mitch Love, head coach of the Wranglers. I want to ask you about two players that uh, have, have really started to stand out or have stood out so far in your postseason or even down the stretch in the regular season. And I know we've asked you, uh, even Wes has asked you a couple of times about Adam Klapka. He scores again in Game 3. Just it, it really feels like this has been an emerging story. A, a, a guy, we all know the size and we all know the frame, but even the confidence level seems to have taken some significant steps. Maybe 
specifically in the postseason, what have you seen emerge in the way that Klapka goes about his business? Well, I think it's it's the process that he's had to go through throughout the regular season to get to this point and in terms of evolving himself as a player and what works best for him to be effective for our team and, and for his own career. And, you know, when he's utilizing his speed and or his size and, and his stick and, and going to the hard areas, um, he's a pretty effective player. And, you know, I think he's just kind of gained confidence throughout the year, and especially these playoffs that when he's doing those things, um, he can, he can help our team win. And, you know, obviously, uh, we, we talked uh, throughout this interview here. That, you know, we need a guy like him to really step up and maybe play, you know, three, four more minutes tomorrow night for us um, to, to help out some of the guys that maybe played a few more minutes last night in the sixth-period uh, hockey game. Um, but but he's a guy that when he's in the right place and the right you know frame of mind uh, on both sides of the puck, he's been a good player for us. And um, you know, we need him to to be in in that right you know mind frame tomorrow night. And the final guy I wanted to ask you about is Cole Schwint. And and more specifically, the the two-way game of Cole and, and how it's really emerged. Maybe in the second half of the season, certainly in the postseason. So where, in terms of the all-round game, have you seen strides in Cole's game over the last little while? Well, I think um, this playoff you know, you want to call it grind. We've played eight games so far. I mean, this has been really good for him. I mean, he, I know he played some playoff experience last year in Charlotte. Um, not to knock anything about the Eastern Conference, but I, I do think our division is one of the toughest in, in the American Hockey League. Um, you know, travel, the, the, the physicality that goes into each and every game throughout the regular season and playoffs here. Uh, I think that's a, a, a real... Um, a, a real benefit to a guy like him, uh, who, you know, we've leaned, to, leaned on all year in terms of him playing wing, center, power play, penalty kill. Um, and he, he's found ways to kind of elevate his game here for us of late. Uh, and, you know, kind of play him with different combinations uh, throughout our, our forward group. Um, and again, like this is a real good indication, you know, if you're a pro scout or you're a manager, coming to watch what guys kind of find that, that next level this time of year because it's, it's, you know, very similar to what you'd probably have to go through playing the National Hockey League in the regular season. It's, it's hard. And, and, and obviously even the playoffs in the National Hockey League is another level there too. So I think this is good for our young players. And, and Cole, I think, kind of embraced that this year and, and uh, really kind of found another gear here in this game to, to try to help us, uh, you know, extend our season. Mitch, really, really do appreciate the time between games in the middle of a playoff series. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much, and uh, good luck on Thursday. We'll be watching back from here in Game 4 in Coachella Valley. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Pat. That is Mitch Love. He's the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. He joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. So here's the situation. After a 111-minute and 22-second hockey game on Monday night, the Wranglers now play for their season on Thursday in Game 4 of this best-of-five showdown with Coachella Valley. They now trail the series two games to one. Next two games will also be played in Palm Springs. you got to win Game 4 to get to Game 5, which would go Friday night, but uh, next up is Game 4, and this Wranglers group has been resilient throughout the year. This Wranglers group has got a lot of high-end veteran 
presence on it, or or there are veteran bodies that I think you can count on, and even their younger players, whether it's Jacob Pelche or Dustin Wolf or Matthew Phillips. And I, you know, Matthew Phillips is now kind of turned himself into an American League veteran, and he had an outstanding game on Monday in Coachella Valley. I I'm, you know. Listening to Mitch say how confident he is just from the outside. I don't coach the team. I'm not in that locker room. But you know, watching them throughout the year and talking to that coach throughout the year, I'm confident they've got it in them to force a game five as well. I'm confident they can come out, lay it all on the line, and beat a very good Coachella Valley team. There is next to nothing separating these two teams, and I'm really excited to see what the Wranglers have in store in game four on Wednesday night. We'll have it for you live on your radio, 8 o'clock with Sandra Persina on Sportsnet 960, the fan live from Palm Springs. It's also available on AHL TV. Um, you can buy uh, an entire AHL TV playoff pass or you can do the single buy. I watched that thing from start to finish on Monday and it was a really damn good hockey game between the Wranglers and Firebirds. I'm looking forward to game four on Wednesday night. As we start to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk, our producers uh, Cam and Taylor, thanks to Mitch Love, thanks to Frank Saravalli, and this hour has been the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.